It's Curious City, where we take your questions about Chicago and the region and investigate, report, explore from WBEZ. Hey, I'm Jesse Dukes, Curious City audio producer. Keontae Brooks recently asked us this question. Why are all the really tall buildings downtown, but nowhere else? Now, if you've ever flown into Chicago, you've seen what Keontae's talking about. A vast, flat metropolis stretching north, west, and south from Lake Michigan. And a small cluster of really tall buildings that pop up downtown. Sure, some neighborhoods and suburbs have tall-ish buildings, but any building taller than 60 stories is in the loop or very close by. So why? Well, Chicago's not alone. Lots of cities have their tallest buildings in central business districts, like the Loop. And I recently spoke with two experts about why that's the case and why the Loop developed the way it did. One was Thomas Leslie, professor of architecture at Iowa State University. And we dialed up his friend and colleague, Jen Masongarb, formerly of the Chicago Architecture Foundation, now in Copenhagen, Denmark, where she joined us from her apartment. Both have studied the history of skyscrapers and how cities develop, and as Jen points out... Both Chicago expats, right? That's right. I I tell people I moved from the... I grew up in the southern suburbs, Champaign-Urbana, and I live in the western suburbs, Iowa. So to begin with, we talked about how Chicago was originally a port city, and the most expensive land was near the ports, around the mouth of the Chicago River. Jen Masongarb explains why skyscrapers are almost always built on land where the property value is highest. I'm going to quote Cass Gilbert here. He's a late 19th, early 20th century architect who's quoted as saying, a skyscraper is a machine designed to make the land pay. So if you've paid for a plot of land and it's expensive, you want to do everything you can to get the biggest return back on that investment. So you could put up a building that's just one floor of tenants and rent out that space But mm, what if you put up two floors of tenants and you stack them on top of each other, then you can earn, let's say, twice as much money or maybe one and three quarters the amount of money. And so each floor of that tall building is helping to make money for that single plot of land right there. Historically, why does Chicago have a central business district and why is it where it is. Why is is Chicago's central business district just south of the Chicago River on the lake, you know, near the lake? I think that there are a couple of things about Chicago in particular and about where the loop is in particular that make Chicago a skyscraper city early on and make the loop the kind of skyscraper neighborhood. Uh, One is that this city was always about speculation and you had a lot of money coming in that was betting on all of the goods that were moving through Chicago and being exchanged. And eventually, so many people come to kind of bet on those futures that they all need offices. And the land in the loop becomes a commodity itself that people start betting on. But that kind of drives a a sort of skyscraper culture. And very early on, there's the perception that, you know, if you're between the river and the lake, you're downtown. If you're across the river, you're out in the Wild West. And the fact that the land is so limited means that that drives up prices even more, which means it's even more possible to make more money by by building tall. And, and, and isn't part of it, too, that Chicago was, was very much a port city originally? And, you know, the traders and speculators you talked about, they needed to be near the docks, you know, the grain elevators and the lumber yards near the commodities they were actually buying and selling. 
there's there's definitely an advantage to that proximity. But if you think about the way that markets work, you not only need to know about the thing you're trading, but you need to know every other trader because every other trader is potentially a, a customer, potentially a rival. And so not only are you finding people clustering near the actual place where the trade happens, but you're finding those people who are interested in the trade also wanting to kind of cluster near each other so that it's easy for them to communicate, it's easy for them to trade things or sign things or shake hands on things. You see them support businesses build around those because even if you are not one of the traders or the trading partners, like let's say you sell stationary and you want to be near both of those people that are going to buy your stationery, right? Because you need letterhead and you want to, you know, they, all those sort of adjacent businesses spring up to support the actual, you know, maybe two, you know, partners in trading. And that would, that would include banks and of architects course, yeah. and yeah. restaurants, all of those things. Yeah. Saloons. <laughs> the other thing is, is kind of a social kind of question in the way that business is changing too. When you, look at businesses in the late 19th century, companies are typically kind of clustered in neighborhoods where they make the product that they are, like Pullman making train cars down south in Pullman or the McCormick Reaper Works west of Pilsen. They start to locate their white-collar office workers in separate places from their blue-collar workers, which are actually manufacturing the product. Historically, these uh, manufacturing plants are quite dirty, and so, gosh, it's really hard to leave the windows open in our office if there's coal dust drifting sure. in or something like that. So you see lots of those big manufacturers, small manufacturers around the city start to locate their headquarters, not out in the neighborhood, but downtown. All of the reasons you've given so far have something to do with proximity and the advantages of proximity for certain kinds of businesses. But you know, we're in a more modern age. We we have the telephone. We have the internet. People telecommute. Um, and you can order your office supplies from Amazon. So why is the loop continued to be a skyscraper and business district if proximity is no longer crucial? Well, there are a couple of answers to that. One is that proximity is really still important. Mm. We still get together to do business. We still go out to lunch for business. But the loop itself, all of the infrastructure in Chicago was designed to get people back and forth to the loop. Right. And so today, if you want to open an office where everyone in the city can commute easily, put your building where all of the, the infrastructure goes. I think, though, that another answer is just, you know, it's not a loop. It's not this loop or that loop. It's the loop. Mm. Yeah, I think ad addresses still matter um, and building names still matter. We're moving our headquarters into the merchandise mart, right? I mean, look at Walgreens, right? They're moving to the post office. I, I, I read that, you know, this week, right? I mean, you know, they've got a headquarters out in what, Deerfield. Why do they need to locate down to the loop when, when your argument is right? They could do exactly what they're doing sort of out there. But businesses are also trying to attract talent. Right. And if the young talent says, I want to live in a city, I don't want to live in a far flung suburb where I have to commute by car and I can't, you know, take my lunch outside along the river and I can't ride my bike or take the train. Like they're trying to attract a, a younger workforce or a workforce that wants to be in the city, too. I think that has a lot to do with it, too. That was Jen Masingarb, now a senior project manager at the Danish Architecture Center. Thomas Leslie is a professor of architecture at Iowa State. 
And by the way, both Jen and Tom believe any new skyscrapers in Chicago will continue to be built in the loop or nearby for as long as the land remains the most valuable. Reporting came from me, Jesse Dukes. Support comes from the Conant Family Foundation. And while I have you, let me tell you about another podcast you might be interested in. It's called Hello from the Magic Tavern, and it's produced here in Chicago. Well, sort of. It's actually produced, if you will, in the fictitious realm of Foon, a magical world complete with wizards, werewolves, gargoyles, shapeshifters. The podcast is completely improvised comedy, set as a chat in a tavern between three regular hosts and weekly guests. Actors and improvisers, many of whom are from Chicago, often appear as those special guests, like wrestler and comedian Colt Colbana appeared as a half-man, half-bear. Travis McElroy as a talking treasure chest, and Peter Sagal appeared as Windsprinkle the Unicorn. So if you like comedy or improv or magic or unicorns, check it out wherever you get your podcasts. And a warning, it's for adults, so there's some raunchy humor. Again, it's called Hello from the Magic Tavern, and you can check it out at hellofromthemagictavern.com. Next time on Curious City, you know Chicago's air and water show. There are biplanes, parachutes, boating demonstrations, and of course, those military jets overhead doing aerial tricks. And all of that costs money. So one listener wants to know, how much does it cost and who's paying for it? The taxpayers? We dive into the cost of the air and water show and who's picking up the bill. That's next time on WBEZ's Curious City. Before we start the show, we here at Curious City want to let you in on a little-known fact about WBEZ. 89% of all our funding comes from community support, including contributions from curious listeners like you. If this program has changed how you see Chicago, please consider supporting this program at wbez.org curious. Thank you.